Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. We are powered by DeerCast. You're Tim Chelswick. I am, aren't I? Yeah. And you are Matt Drury. Hey, listen. <laughs> I'm going to start teasing this. We we started teasing deep tease. This is a real deep tease. We started talking about some new secret mm-hmm. features in DeerCast that mm-hmm. are going to launch. We started talking about last year if they didn't launch, <laughs> but this year it is. Dramatic build. Yeah. So in June here, in the month of June, you're going to start talking, we're going to start talking about it a little bit more and a little bit more, uh, but I'm excited. We are going to be launching some major, major new features in DeerCast, still a deep tease, but uh, yeah, we're going to start talking about it here in June and and following up here in a few podcasts. I'm sure we'll have Mark and Terry in to, to discuss as well. So we're excited. Something that we've been beta testing for over over a year now and uh, we finally got it to a place where we feel you know confident and uh and what it brings to the table for the consumer yeah the cool thing is that we were intentional about bringing this kind of teasing this and and unveiling it within our podcast audience because we want to feel like you guys are the closest to us and to DeerCast. so we want to make sure that you know we honor that and and share these things first with the podcast crew that's right who knows so. Maybe there's a special discount involved for Whoa. the podcast crew. Alan's shaking his head no. <laughs> no discounts. <laughs> Alan's the, the sales guy. <laughs> Poor Ed. We keep cutting Alan's uh, knees up from underneath him with these things. Um, so we've got... So we've also been teasing this guest for a while. We it's have a been. mystery guest. <laughs> it's about to be unveiled. That's right. Uh, I'm really excited about this. So... I grew up as a fisherman. In fact, fishing is my my first love. I kind of came into hunting a little later in life. So we have, um, we, he's a seven-time BASS Angler of the Year, an FLW Angler of the Year. Four, he has four Bassmaster Classic wins, 25 total bass, uh, BASS wins, four Major League Fishing wins. He's a member of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. And this is probably going to give it away. He is also the founder of the KVD Foundation. You, you know, when you can have initials and everybody knows who your name is, or a Jordan, or a, you know, that this is the Jordan of fishing. We got big time Kevin Van Dam. What's up, Dude. man? Man, it's good to, good to be on this morning with you guys. <laughs> we appreciate it. You know, I I don't know if people realize your passion. Obviously, you're so well known on the fishing side. But your passion for passion for all things outdoors, a gamekeeper. We were chatting the other day, and you were telling me about you know how long you've been food plotting and how long you've been a gamekeeper. I mean, really dating back before it was much of a thing or mm-hmm. much of a mainstream thing. And you know, we see big bucks on on the wall back there. And I, I I'm excited to talk to you as much about that side of it as I'm sure Tim is about the fishing side. So you know, t- take us through a little bit about where that passion starts for for you you know, all things outdoors. Well, you know, I was lucky at a young age that my dad was an outdoorsman. Um, I wouldn't say he was a hardcore hunter, but I mean, he hunted everything, you know, during, went during the season, you know, he was a deer hunted for, with a bunch of guys going up North to, you know, one of those legendary, uh, you know, Drummond Island deer camps when he was younger, you know, and he started me into it early. So, I mean, I just had a passion for it. Uh, really my whole family does, you know, my brother owns a big sporting goods, Marine dealership, 
gun archery shop here in, in Kalamazoo. And that's what I grew up around. I started working there when I was 11, but um, I've just always loved to hunt and fish. It's all I've ever wanted to do from a little kid. I would ride my bike, you know, when I was five or six years old, knock on people's doors to ask them permission to fish their pond or go to the yeah. trout stream. And, and growing up here in Southern Michigan, you know, we've just got a lot of opportunities. You know, there's a lot of different species uh, you know, of, of fish and, and a real diversity to fish, but also to, you know, to hunt, you know, we, we used to have a lot of pheasants and grouse and, and things like that. And rabbits, I mean, squirrels, mm-hmm. um, you know, I started, started bow hunting when I was 10 because it, that was the legal age here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, you couldn't hunt with a gun until you were 14. And, you know, so I, I grew up around it, just always really loved it. And, uh, I had a best friend that was really pretty much the same. And we started in on it. I mean, our first food plots, I think we started when we were 13 years old planting food plots, uh, just trying to do something a little bit more to draw the deer, you know, to have a better opportunity. Uh, you know, we didn't know about scrapes and rubs and all that, you know, there was no technology. I mean, the only thing you could get any hunting information from was magazines. And, and then there wasn't even great just straight deer hunting magazines. It was outdoor life or hmm. sports afield. And, and that was about it. Nowadays, you know, look at uh, what technology and the internet and, you know, podcasts and uh, deer cast. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable now the information that's, that's out there, but you know, I, we started in on it pretty early, learned a lot and, you know, and I've, I've been doing it ever since I've got two boys that are now um, young men and, you know, I've, been able to it's you know it's been a great experience for me to go through that whole process with them because you know for a while with my friends deer hunting got to be you know I got to the point where we were so in, engaged in, in trophy hunting and, and the size of the deer and that that it just mm-hmm. made it no fun anymore mm-hmm. and so when I got my kids back into it and just to see their passion where they just you know, just want to go out and you know how kids are. They want to shoot everything that walks in front of you. You know, they want to keep every fish. They So to see their progression the same way it was for me where, you know, I used to I used to fill all four of my buck tags every year in Michigan, two with the bow, two with the gun, mm. whatever it was, spikes, four points, six points. You know, I mean, that's how it was growing up. But to see that progression in them, to, for them to understand the age structure and habitat improvement and you know we're constantly doing some kind of project at our property to improve the habitat for wildlife you know and it, it obviously would it's deer and turkeys that's our focus but mm-hmm. uh, we also you know duck hunting is kind of a, a thing for us too as well but you know everything benefits from it i've just seen just uh you know the difference that we've been able to transform our properties and of course i think you guys um especially mark and terry you know i mean they were on the ground floor of a lot of this. And I've, I've learned so much from, uh, what you guys have done from back in the day, from the videos and things. And now 13, I mean, that's just, it's, that's the best show. It is the best show on television by far. Uh, obviously Deercast is something that I live by, not just in deer season. It's something that, you know, we think about all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 365, uh, gamekeeper, hunter, fisherman, but, it, I just, I just don't have the time that I wish I could put into it, mm-hmm. you know, to, to give it a, it's frustrating. You know, I want to, I know what it takes to do it like you guys do and, and to be able to raise 
those giant deer. And I just get excited every year when I, I can't wait for the new shows, you know? Yeah. I have a couple kind of follow-up questions to that. First of all, I'd, I'd like to know what type of deer, cause you think of Michigan, I always think of like Michigan and PA kind of in the same, cause you, you hear about the um, insane amount of the hunt, numbers. hunter yeah. numbers that they yeah. have. And then kind of a lower quality of overall herd, uh, just because kind of everything that moves get shot that's what you always hear and i've never hunted either so i don't know but you know is that kind of a misnomer are you guys creating your own kind of paradise there well um it is there is a lot of pressure especially uh if you're hunting you know state ground or in the northern part of the state and it's just you know we have a lot of deer our, our deer numbers are really too high but i live in southwest michigan and we have the opportunity for big deer the problem is is there's so many small tracts of land i mean everybody that's got 10 acres has got a box blind on their land or or an acre you know and uh, it used to be you could bait here too so with uh you know cwd the state the dnr's changed that so now if you want to put food out you basically have to food plot and, and to me that's really helped things because everybody that had a house sitting on an acre would put a you know pile of corn in their backyard and you know some does would come and uh, you know every little yearling buck that walked her in there was probably going to get toasted mm -hmm. so you know i have a fairly decent sized land for us and again you know i've got a, a hunting property just about two miles from my house it's like 325 acres and i have 100 acres at my house and i'm one of the biggest landholders in in the county so i mean our tracks are small and obviously you can't keep a big deer on that, but we do real uh, our best to create sanctuaries, real thick cover. I mean, I learned a long, long time ago that the key to big deer is having security cover, no pressure and food to keep the does around, you know? Yeah. And if you can do that, and my biggest problem time is the rut because that's when they travel. Sure. And, you know, so we just hunt the perimeter and we've created, you know, pretty good, a uh, little area and, and we have good deer, you know, I mean, a lot of, um, you know, we're hunting three and four year old deer for the most part. If one gets to five here, it's really, really special and rare. Mm -hmm. Occasionally that'll happen, but, uh, you know, we're hunting hundred and, you know, 30 to 150 inch deer every year. Most of our, most we're, we're trying to hunt four year olds, you know, but, uh, my boys are at that, at that stage still where like Jackson, um, you know, I have twin boys and, you know, he lives in Nashville. He actually works down there for Luke Bryan at E3 Chop House. Nice. He wants to be a chef. And so he got to come home and hunt two days this year is all just because of his work schedule and job. And, you know, we had a really nice uh, 10 point that was a, a three and a half year old here at our place. And I told him, I said, if you see that deer and, you know, and you can't and it it's right, you know, your your green light for him you know i mean just because that's just his only opportunity to hunt all yeah, season yeah. so and fortunately on his second day he got that opportunity and uh you know i was i was there to help him recover the deer so it's really special time so and that's what i said about you can't just put so much pressure on yourself and 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 you know the post shot analysis can be brutal in a lot of hunting camps you know and <laughs> you just don't want to turn people away from it so I learned that the hard way a long time ago. It took the fun out of it with a lot of my buddies and, and friends. And, um, you know, we've come full circle and, you know, mistakes are going to be made. And, and you, we try hard uh, to do our best to raise these deer to get their full potential. But the reality of it is here in Michigan, it's, you know, if I was hunting for six and a half year old deer, 
it, that's a unicorn. You just, yeah. it just almost never happens. It happens if you're really bad at hunting that one deer for the first <laughs> four years, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen your uh, accolades over the years, man. You had a pretty rough goal, but <laughs> yeah. last couple of years you've kind of redeemed yourself. Yeah. We're trying. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm no Mark and Terry, but I always have to remind myself like, Hey, so you got to start somewhere. And I'm, I'm trying to learn whether it's the food plot side, like, you know, Scott and myself, Scott films me. And, and works on our social media team and, and does a lot of, of the farming side with me and knows more than I do. But in general, we're trying to teach each other and help each other by talking to Mark and Terry and talking to Forrest, yep. Wade, Perry, the guys that are doing it so much and so well. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, I can't pretend like I just know this stuff from the start you got to learn somewhere i didn't just you know i just didn't i wasn't barn walking <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean so well, it's no different i mean we're shooting mark and terry drury level deer circa 1992 uh I, i'd say actually honestly i'd say more like cir circa late 90s early 2000s yeah. in the early 90s i mean they were shooting you know 110 120 inch deer and those were trophies and mm -hmm. you know that was the kind of the beginning of of um age structure and understanding it. And I'm sure they would say they learned a lot from guys like Don Kiske, Jay Gregory, Stan Potts, you know, and, 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 you know, the early nineties, they, they started kind of putting those pieces together. So I I've talked about it before, but you know, dad was in his mid thirties, Mark in his mid twenties when they really began. I mean, I'm 41. I've, I started kind of figuring it out in my mid thirties and starting to go down that path and you just can't compare yourself to others. You know, it, it's just not, it's just not applicable. I mean, imagine what you'll be doing when you're 90. <laughs> Maybe yeah, by then I, mean, I might find a, a booner. <laughs> yeah. My challenge always was growing up is that, um, you know, we had the time, but we didn't have the, the right equipment to, to really do the food plots the mm -hmm. way that we, and we didn't have the technology. Uh, you know, there was no uh, Roundup Ready corn or soybeans or anything like that. And we just didn't know, um, you know, you know, that, brassicas are a, a key thing or, and you know that you can't have a one acre corn plot and expect to have any corn there in the in the fall you know you and and how to set them up you know to be able to get in and out without uh the deer knowing you're there and there's just and just even setting up your property just basically uh you know one thing we've done is a lot of timber management and that i mean a lot of these places are wide open and they just won't hold a deer mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, and they're definitely not mature deer. If, if a mature deer walks through there and sees another one, uh, a three or four year old deer, and they're going to fight and they're going to have a problem. So if you can make it super thick where they can walk by each other 75 yards away and neither one knows they're there, you can have a whole lot more of them. And that's what, that's what I've learned on our property is um, just having it super thick, not uh, bumping them ever. You can, you know, we can hold or keep a lot of them where that's kind of their core area or, or it's it's a place that they end up quite a bit of time and you have a great opportunity that way. And we've been very successful for our area, for the size of properties that we have. Um, and I've got a group of friends that that do this, do the same. And, you know, it's a combination of all of it. It's, you know, it's the right food plots. It's uh, it, it, it's setting up your property that way. It's, it's following deer cast to don't hunt until it's right. That's the hardest thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people is, you know, they only got a couple of days or you work all week and you got to hunt the weekend and they just want to go and they go to their favorite stand or the best stand when the wind's not right or the conditions aren't quite right. And you're just, you're, you're making, and that's what my kids have uh, really had trouble with more than anything is like, 
they see the deer on, you know, with trail cameras, they see the, the deer and, you know, going by this camera and they want to go there no matter what, you've got to make sure everything's, you, you just have to be patient. And that's, uh, that's the thing that I think like Mark and Terry are just so good at it. Sh it shows through so well on the show. Um, you know, the, the, the times when they're successful, it wasn't by accident. I mean, it was planned out everything from the food plot, the stand location, checking the wind, looking at the weather deer cast and fishing's the same way. You know I mean? Um, we talked, I've talked with Mark a lot about trying to do a, a bass cast, you know, a version like that. And it is, it's different because it's bass are, you know, uh, a fish obviously, and not a mammal. And it, it's, it is a little bit, but there are little similarities, you know, I mean, they 100% fishing. I live by the weather. I've got so many weather apps on my phone. It, it isn't funny. And you have to watch that. The beauty of a bass though is, is I can, I can still catch them or I can make them bite when they're not active or when they're not feeding, you know, you can use their instincts against them. You can make them react. You can, uh, you know, during the spawn it's, you know, they've got territorial instinct. They've got that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, guard nesting instinct, guarding instinct. So there's other ways to catch bass where there's no way to put a mature deer on his feet other than having him, you know, know there's a great food source, there's does around or opportunity, you know, to, especially to do it in daylight. I mean, that's the biggest thing around us is our deer are so nocturnal that timing it with deer cast um, to when you can hunt. And I mean, I have, I have lived by it since day one. Um, you know, the biggest deer that I've killed on my property with a bow, my boys, the same thing. It's, it's deer cast has told us that's the time and the window to be there. And so, you know, I follow it religiously. All of our friends do now. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's all part of the process for me. I mean, because I, I spend so much time away in that, that, tra you know, trail cameras, you know, deer cast and, um, you know, living vicariously through other people like you guys, uh, out there it keeps me engaged in it. You know, it makes, it makes it fun. Yeah. And that's, that's what it, it's supposed to be fun. So, you know, you talk about those different weather apps and <clears throat> you know, you're looking at DeerCast too, I'm sure. And the, are there certain things you, you said, you, you know, there's certain things that you can do to still catch a fish, even if the weather's not right, but are there certain weather conditions that when you see them, whether you're in another weather app or in DeerCast, you're like, ah, I bet the fish are biting a day. I mean, there's certain things that, that really work well for, you know, having better luck out there fishing. Yeah. So, um, you know, before I met, uh, Mark and Terry in person, um, I talked to Mark for hours and hours and hours. I mean, obviously we have a lot of mutual friends and mutual partners and things. I know a lot of the, uh, old timers that grew up in the, you know, like you say, like Stan Potts, you know, I mean, we go way back and he's a big fisherman, but, uh, I have talked to him a lot about it because I've watched, you know, what you guys do and, and how, and our deer are a little different because they, of the pressure, I think more than anything else by other hunters and that man, it's all about some of these key weather fronts, you know, late season is a prime time for us, just like it is for you. If you've got a good food source, I mean, timing, the, the timing of a front when it comes in is everything. We've had uh, some great hunts when you have a snowstorm hit. When deer cast says, oh, maybe the deer really aren't moving, but these deer know that, hey, man, it's, it's, it's this weather's coming, and a lot of times they'll try to get ahead of it a little bit. So that's one thing that's a, that's a little bit unique here because they're moving, but it's you got to just have it happen in, in daylight. So for him to get out of his bed 30 minutes earlier than normal, 
and and to show up in a food plot um, when it's still you know shooting time that's that's been key and, and we've uh, my son Nicholas has killed his two biggest deer the two biggest deer we've killed off our property under those exact conditions. But do you see a correlation with the fishing side in that regard? Same regard, like what? what are, oh, no doubt. Okay, no so doubt. like you know, is it a certain level of pressure? You know, barometric pressure, or is it is it just after a storm, or is it you know those types of things that also make fish kind of you know I don't know a little more susceptible? Oh, yeah, to, the, to being caught. Yeah, the their activity periods uh, definitely improve around weather. You know, I mean you know bass is a predator that uh you know he's a low light feeder so things that generate that so early in the morning late in the evening uh wind is another thing that cuts down light penetration especially you know if you're fishing a clear water lake um you know like table rock or you know some of these highland reservoirs they 100 focus on that you know the worst conditions are high bright skies and no wind you know post frontal conditions where in the deer world a lot of times you know you know, that it's exactly the opposite. You know, they they hunker down during those storms and wind, where those fish, they're more they get you know the bass get more active. Um, you know, in in those conditions, they know they've got an advantage over their prey species. Um, the wind can generate current. It, you know, it creates opportunities for them. So there's like I say, there's there's a lot of similarities in the weather, but there's there's a lot of differences too, just because it's a different species. But mm, sure. it won't out without a doubt, one hundred percent. You know, it's, you know, Windfinder is one of my favorite apps. You know, obviously my radar, I don't like lightning. I don't want to be fishing in lightning. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's great to see the approaching. And, and it's the same way when you're deer hunt, man, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of these weather apps to see when this front is going to actually hit where I'm sitting in my stand, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and time and time it out. So we do have so much better technology to help us plan when that is, is going to be but DeerCast makes it easy. You know, yeah. I mean, if you, everybody that's listening to this podcast obviously understands and knows about DeerCast, priority has it. But if you don't have DeerCast, you're a fool. <laughs> yeah. We Can mean, we cut that and just what? use it? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Fall. <laughs> I'm not even paying him, I swear. <laughs> so, Kevin, it, it, it's pretty well established that once a deer hits hits uh, hits a certain level of maturity, they're almost a, a different kind of animal than a doe or a younger buck. And I'm wondering if if you found something similar with big bass. Do they they relate to structure differently? Do they hold in different areas, you know, off points and things differently than you than what uh, a smaller bass? Absolutely. Um, you know, in places that have large populations of big fish, say like say a Lake Fork or. Um, you know, some of these trophy lakes like Lake Okeechobee or whatever, no doubt. But normal lakes, especially lakes where I live here in Michigan, these smaller lakes like that, that percentage of the population of bass, like a, a, a big fish in Michigan is a five pounder, right? Mm -hmm. So a five pound largemouth or a five pound smallmouth, he is, uh, you know, 12 to 15 years old. He's been around for a long time. Um, they act differently. They're not as near as aggressive. They're not going to hang around with those smaller, younger, faster fish in, in groups. Um, you know, they're smarter. I mean, they know that, hey, they're not going to waste a bunch of energy to get that opportunity. And when conditions are right, when it's really optimum for them to be out there and to have an advantage over, you know, a school of bluegill or crappie or gizzard shattered, you know, they want a big meal. They, they don't want to expend a bunch of energy. Um, they don't move near as far. They like sanctuary. They like 
you know, secluded, heavy cover, or they'll be underneath a boat dock in the shade or under a, a mat or lily pads, or they'll be offshore off of a deep point, just, you know, hovering around schools of bluegills, things like that. They are no question, um, very different. And it makes them, you know, hard to target because again, they're less than 10% of the population. You know, it's sure. probably 1% of the population in most of these lakes. Now, if you go again to some of the real special places, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but, uh, uh, they do, they do change and they, they, and you have to fish that, you know, you have to learn that. So based on, you know, whatever tournament format that I'm in, um, you know, I, I have to think that way, you know, if I'm fishing a, a five fish, uh, limit tournament, mm -hmm. you know, like I did for most of my career, you definitely target those bigger fish areas for them, mm -hmm. the, the bigger lures, uh, understand the timing, the weather patterns and things like that where like in major league fishing, where we're, you know, obviously a big one puts a lot more uh, value on the score tracker, but you know, numbers of quality is, is good too. So you got to understand the fishery you're in. Um, and it, you know, it's no different than hunting in Pennsylvania compared to hunting in Iowa. Um, you know, if you're hunting for 180 inch deer is your goal and you live in Pennsylvania, Boy, there's very, very few of them that live in the whole state where in Iowa, you know, you got a better opportunity. So sure. it's understanding the, the body of water, the land you're on to, you know, to set, set your bar, you know, realistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I, I used to get Bassmaster magazine when I was a kid. And I remember when you came onto the scene in the early nineties and I, I grew up in North central Illinois and I always felt like the bass circuit was so dominated by a lot of Southern guys, it seemed like, you know, guys that were fishing around yeah. big, big fish just natively. So what was it like as kind of a Northern guy coming into that world and just and dominating right off the bat like that? You know, early in my career, um, the thing that really helped me was the diversity that I have where I grew up here in Michigan. Um, you know, we got shallow lakes, rivers, uh, deep, clear bodies, water, small mouth, large mouth, just a, a, a big diversity in habitat. And I learned pretty quick, um, that my aggressive style, um, allowed you to, you know, allow me to find fish and, and to be able to adapt faster than a lot of other people did. And mm -hmm. it just, it made me a much more consistent early on. And then I had to learn to win, you know, you have to learn to, uh, what it takes mentally to put yourself in that position, to take the risk, to understand the conditions, the timing and all that, to, um, you know, to, to bring it over the top and, and not just end up with a good finish. So when I started, I think the first 23 events in a row, Bassmaster events in a row, I cashed a check in, you know, made the top 50, mm, wow. which, you know, um, which is, was a record at the time. I don't know if it still is or not, but, um, but, you know, and, and in that I did get a win or maybe two, but for the most part, it took me a few years to figure that transition out, you know, to like, hey, you've got to target these bigger fish and understand that there's going to be times when, you know, you're going to screw it up. You know, you're going to, you're going to not have a, a good, a good event, but if you want to have, you know, that top level success, you have to, you have to fish that way. You have to learn that way. And deer hunting is kind of the same way. It's, you know, if, if you're going to set your sights on one target animal and, and we do this, you guys do this all the time. And we, we do as well. You know, I mean, you do, you do the work, you, you work all season long, you start, you know, I'm my trail cameras. I'm, I'm looking at the 
deer just starting to grow horns here in Michigan right now. So, I mean, we're starting the season right now looking for those potential uh, deer that we're going to actually go after and, and hunt. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way. When you set your sights on one deer and the property you're hunting only has one deer on it, it the, the chances are pretty I mean, they're in the deer's favor for sure. sure. But when you do make it all happen and it comes together, boy, it, it's a, it's a special feeling, you know, it's, and, and to be able to capture it on film, um, you know, I've seen many, many hunts that you guys have been able to do that. And, uh, it just, for the, for the fans like myself, cause I'm a, I'm a fan and a, a viewer, it's, it's pretty dang special. Cause you, I, I know what it takes to do what you guys do it, you know, fish, filming fishing is way easier than filming deer hunting. I promise you that, <laughs> you know, it, it's, there's just a lot more opportunities in that to, uh, to make it happen. But, uh, I, I do love it. It's my passion. And, uh, I've always said, man, if, if I could make a living hunting deer, it'd I, be a lot more fun than, than fishing. But a lot of people like trade places with me too. I, I do yeah. feel super fortunate that I, that I love what I get to do to make a living at it it seems like it would be and and kind of we're in the same parallel worlds i think a lot of people hunt and and they think that it's the same thing when when you're hunting on tv but really you're producing a hunt for television and you are fishing and a lot of people fish but you are fishing for a living and you're producing content and you're trying to win a tournament so that's that the, uh, totally different worlds. I, I imagine it's probably mentally exhausting just being out there thinking of all the inefficiencies and how can I get more well, time with the bait in the water well, and like how many days a year do you have to go out on the on the tournament trail? You know how many days are you out there versus at home? You know that's a yeah, grind. I, you know I travel a lot. You know I'm, and it's it varies from year to year. And I'm at the point you know I've been fishing professionally for thirty one. I think this is my thirty second year. Uh, as a full-time pro. And I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of times it's, you know, 275 days a year you're traveling. Mm -hmm. And so you imagine how hard it is to food plot when you're gone 250 days a year. And that's, that's kind of, I'm 225 to 250 every year. um, You know, from that standpoint, I'm going to tell you one big difference between competitive bass fishing and, you know, it's something that has allowed me to, you know, build the brand and, and the reputation that I have is we do have a measuring stick. It's, it's the competition. And Mm -hmm. in the hunting world, it's not, you know, basically I don't care who you are in the hunting world. Everybody out there is trying to make it, but there's no real comp, you know, competitive measuring stick, like at the PGA tour or football or basketball or, you know, team sports are a little bit different, but individual sports. So, you know, kudos to, to you guys at Drury Outdoors to Mark and Terry for, for starting it because basically every professional hunter is a, just a self-proclaimed expert, but God. you continually Guilty. time and time again, prove it. And you know, a lot, of, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people yeah. that have come and gone, but to stand the test of time, to be at the top, to be on the forefront of technology um, and, and all the the aspects of hunting and obviously deer cast is a, you know, you know, look at, look at what that's done for so many people, how, you know, how much better experience a lot of people have had in the woods just because of you guys having the vision to put out an app like that to, to help people, you know, to teach people. And that's what it's all about. I'm not a, I'm not great at making people laugh. Um, You know, I do a lot of YouTube videos and things like that, but I'm 100% 
I love it when people come to me and say, man, I watched this video did, or I watched the show you did. I, I use that technique or I use this bait or I took my dad out or I took my kid and caught his biggest fish or he caught his first fish or we had the best day we've ever had on the water. So to me, that is so gratifying to hear those stories of how I've helped people have a better experience, you know, with their grandpa or their family or the friend out there. And it's the same, uh, what you guys are doing for me, I, I get a limited amount of time to hunt and a little bit limited time to spend in the woods and do it. So I don't want to, I don't want to mess up. I want to know the, you know, the best what practices for food plot and the way to set up these places. I don't have time to waste. I don't want to do it twice. So, um, you know, that's what you guys do to me better than anybody in the business. Uh, and there's some, there's a lot of other very credible people out, out there in, in your world, but you guys are at the top of the pyramid and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your butt, but it's just fact and the, the results prove it. You, you, you know, we kind of briefly touched on the, the television side of it. And <clears throat> I'm curious to see over the 32 years you've been doing it, just how much it's changed and the industry you're in has changed from, you know, Bassmaster TV to where it is today and, and, you know, FLW and what that, I mean, I know from, you know, speaking with the guys at the outdoor channel, it's the highest rated stuff. It's the highest rated stuff on MOTV. Like it does so well. And I just yeah. wonder, you know, there's, I, I, I assume a part of the correlation of why it does so well is because just about the barrier to entry for someone to go fishing is much smaller than yeah. it is for hunting. So I, I understand yeah. that there's so many more anglers than there are hunters or out, you know, uh, but yeah. in general, why do you think it fascinates people so much? Cause I mean, I've seen it when you guys are doing appearances at Bass Pro Shops and like the lines, it's just, it's incredible. It's a, there's, you know, and even the amount of people that go to those weigh-ins and, and it's, it's a spectacle. It, it is a spectacle. It just amazes me. And wh why yeah. do you, so what's the evolution that you've seen in those 30 plus years? And why do you think it, it is so popular and has stayed so popular for, for that long? Well, there's no doubt um, that the bringing the television aspect of it and, and now with um, social media and YouTube, people are just, they're looking for content and they want to learn how to catch them. So originally Bassmaster TV was the only way you could get a view into that world of what we do on the water to mm -hmm. see how Kevin Van Dam cranks a ledge at Kentucky Lake in the summer. And now, you know, that television has progressed. You know, we started major league fishing and it's about shoot, 10 years ago. And, and that made it, you know, it's made for television, fast paced, uh, you know, score tracker, real-time scoring. So you knew, you know, always in tournaments, you're out there fishing by yourself and you don't know what the rest of the field is doing. So tell me a sport that you're competing in out there that you don't know the score of the game. Well, fishing was that sport. So major league fishing, when we did that, it changed that to where you, we had real-time scoring. Every angler knew what it was. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on you. And when we put that on TV, People resonated to it and still, still it's that it's that same way. But since then, technology has allowed it. Now, all of our tournaments are live streamed. So all the all the Bassmaster tournaments, all the major league fishing tournaments, every minute of every day is live streamed. And, you know, there's, you know, in our league and major league fishing, there's 16 cameras out there on the water, the top 10 or to start out with, there's going to be 10. And they, they, they know where everybody's at and what everybody's doing because they got satellite technology to track everybody. 
So they're moving them around. So they're following the action, just like you would on a golf course. You know, like if you're watching the, the masters, they're not, you know, they got cameras everywhere, but they're not showing the guys that aren't making the cut. They're showing the guys that are at the top of the leaderboard. And, and that's, you know, that's what it's done. And so now with this live streaming, you get a look into it. You can, you see how a guy's turning the handle of his reel. You see what he's doing to, to work a bait, um, you know, a setup and you're seeing the action. So it's not only is it entertaining, but it's very educational and um, it's really just allowed the, the sport to grow, but it's the same in, in, in hunting, you know, I mean, back in the day, there was not a lot of shows or there's not a lot of airtime in a 30 minute show on mm. outdoor channel. You get what, 22 minutes of, of, you know, it's hard to edit a hunt yeah. down to that. Now you guys are pretty much unlimited. You can put things out there. Um, you know, DVD started that. I mean, yeah. I, uh, you know, you remember back in the, those days I did, I put out a lot of fishing DVDs and, people, people loved it, but now it's just, uh, it's, it's great to be able to see it now. Uh, fishing is pretty fast paced and we've got a lot of people out there and I don't know if you could translate that in the deer hunting world, but live streaming, uh, I, I would watch every minute of, of you guys on a, on a live deer hunt. You know what I mean? Some of us. Well, just to see the action, you know I mean? It's just, it's it's intriguing. That's what people want to see. Yeah, is they want to they want to get a look behind the curtain. They okay. want to see how somebody who's been really successful at it. You know, I'm, it, it's been fascinating for me to years to watch uh, Mark and Terry and, and how they approach it and just why you know they've been able to be so so much more successful than somebody like myself. I'm you know I'm lucky every season to have an, one or two opportunities at a target deer uh, and some years never at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be able to, um, you know, to do it at that level, uh, it's, it's pretty special. I, I misspoke there. I, I said FLW. I meant to say MLF. I have a follow-up question on the MLF side. So you talk about all those satellites and, and tracking you guys. I watched a clip on YouTube the other day with you and, and you caught, you know, this is years back. That's the cool part about the amount of content that's on the oh, internet. Man. You know, I'm, I'm watching you from 1992, <laughs> you know, in Angler yeah. of the Year. Like these things are awesome to go back and watch and the tips and all that stuff. But I, I noticed there was a clip where, you, you know, you're reeling in this giant bass and and you say something like hey can you guys back up please and, and you know the camera pans back and there's boats all around you what i i, I guess you know because i just don't understand this this world as as well as the hunting side but i mean is everybody kind of fishing the same areas and and what's the competition if you're all kind of in the same areas i know you're probably trying to find somewhere uh, you know, away from everybody, but if all these cameras are always on you, how do you actually get away or how do you kind of find your own little spot? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's been one of the biggest challenges um, of my career is, you know, when you're talking about something like that, those are, those are just spectators. Um, and for the most part, they're not fishing. Um, they're not trying to get in your way, but um, you know, after you go out there and watch somebody for a little while and it's, you realize it's not as fast paced as what you see on TV, hmm. a lot of times they get bored and, or they see you catch a bunch of fish off a spot and they're like, well, you know what, we're going to go try it too. So that's the fascination with it. That's why we have fans is because when they see me on television, pull up and throw out there and catch 15 and 15 casts and they're big ones, you know, <laughs> at, at a Toledo Bend or Kentucky Lake or, They've just never done that. People, everybody wants to live that moment. You know, I want to, I want to live that moment when that 190 inch deer walks out in front of me at 25 yards and 
uh, you know, I, I can grunt, stop them with my bow and, and have that chance, you know, same. that's the same in fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, they, they have it and that's what they're, they're aspiring to do. So in the past, the only way to, for them to feel like they could get that close look is to, um, to follow you around on the water. Or if they're watching a television show, they don't know exactly where they're at. So when you go to somebody's home lake, they can't help it but go out there and just see what you're doing, where you're at. That you know, and a lot of them, that's what they're there to do. They're there to to steal your spots, you know, to find the spots that that we, you know, we found. Um, and technology's changed it for us too. I mean, we have so much better mapping, electronics, side imaging, down imaging, mm-hmm. mega three sixty. You know, we can, you know, we're seeing everything around the boat. Um, it, so it it helps us break down a huge lake a much faster, sure. you know, without a doubt. I mean, it's, um, you know, that's my deer cast, so to speak, sure. my knowledge base in my head with my electronics. I go out there and I, we get, you know, two and a half days to practice or two days to practice. And I've got to go and put a game plan together for a four day competition, you know, for it. And it's, it's like scouting, you know, for deer, you know, you, mm-hmm. you put out trail cameras and you're, you know, walking the land and you're learning the terrain and you look at topo maps and it's, it's no different. You know, if you're going to plan for a Western hunt, if you do your research, you're going to probably have a much better chance to, you know, to find a big mule deer or to, you know, kill an elk or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Fishing is the same. I mean, there's no shortcut for hard work. Mm-hmm. There's no shortcut for, for knowledge. Um, and there's no shortcut for making the right decisions at the right time. You know, everybody in our sport has all this technology. They've got the best equipment. We've got the latest in boats. They've got all the lures. They've got the knowledge. They've, they've got the background in the end. What separates the, the top elite guys is what's in your head and the decisions you make during that, during that competition day. Can and you- it's, no different than hunting in that same way. I mean, I, I got to hunt this past week with Chris Paradise and, and Fred Zink turkey hunting at my place. And I, I'm not an expert turkey hunter, but these guys have a ton of experience at calling and, and just understanding I, what I do know is the terrain. And it's amazing to, you know, they know exactly what to do when. And that's what it is in fishing is the same way. And, and in deer hunting, it's, it's the same way. But having all those tools at your disposal gives you the opportunity uh, just like say like you know just having deer casts and know when those key windows are to to, to be there and mm-hmm. and all the weather apps to, to set yourself up for success take us through that those two days of practice that game plan you know as much as you as you want to divulge there but i'm fascinated yeah. with that and it's you know you're you're basically you're like a manager or a head coach there you're creating you know your game plan because everybody has the same equipment but what separates the great from, you know, anybody that's on the tour is probably great, but what's separating you and greatness from great. Does that make sense? Like how, what's yeah. the game planning to make sure that you're going to succeed, you know, on the same lake that everybody else can put a game plan together on. So the biggest thing for us is, um, you know, like I've got a tournament coming up uh, at Watts bar this, this coming week. Mm-hmm. And, it's in Tennessee. It's a Tennessee river lake. I know the basic, uh, water type. I've really never fished there. Um, I've been on it just one time, but not really, not really in, in a tournament or anything. I got to just kind of ride it in the fall, last fall, just to see it knowing I had a tournament coming up. So, uh, 
it's all about the seasonal pattern. So what you guys do with 13 to break down um, these 13 phases, it's the same thing that I have to do. So I've got to understand the seasonal pattern, the type of body of water. Um, I look definitely the weather, you know, I'd look at the long-term uh, conditions leading up to the, you know, what's, what's been happening there. Um, you can get on the internet and, and even do more research, like, you know, look at fishing sites or things like that. I try not to do that. I don't want to get any preconceived notions. Hmm. I just want lake levels. What, you know, I don't, I'll figure the water temperature out there. I want to know, I know the general season just based on the calendar year, you know, just like deer hunting, the weather is a big factor, but I can tell you the biggest thing that changes fishing in the seasons is length of day. The spawn, people say, well, what time do the bass or what's the key spawning temperature for bass? There's no key spawning temperature. It's the time of the year. And if the spawn or if the water temperature is within 10 degrees of that zone, they're going to do it. And the full moon, you know, it's another huge effect on them. The moon has a big effect. So it's all these factors. There's so many variables that you have to put in. Um, I actually wrote a book on it. It's the number one asked question that I get is how do you go and break down a lake? And th there's so many things that you have to do, but it's, it's all about, um, you know, I think the very best bass anglers, they have just incredible uh, senses to, to read the water and the conditions and to notice little things, you know, a blue heron sitting in the, on a point as opposed to in the back of a pocket or seagulls flying around over the main lake or whatever it is, you know, all these clues in nature that might tip you off to where the forage, I mean, because the bass are the same way. I mean, their food plot's always moving is the problem. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. some certain times of the year, it's crayfish, it could be gizzard shad, threadfed, bluegill, whatever it is. So it's understanding the food source, the type of water, the habitat type, you know, does the lake have grass? Is it rock? Is it timber? Um, what, you know, should they be relating to main lake this time of year, or backs of creeks or, what areas are going to warm up first in the spring? Um, you know, uh, north northerly banks warm up. You know, they get the self-facing sun, so they're, they're going to be a little warmer. It's all these things that I just take for granted because I've been doing it for so long. Like I say, I wrote a book about it. but um, So that's why the first time when I watched 13, and I, I actually called Mark, and he's like, yeah, after all these years of doing this, we've kind of figured it out and broke it down that there's these 13 different phases of the deer season. It was, it was mind boggling to me. And I, I'm a pretty knowledgeable guy. I've been hunting a long time. I've been food, I've been doing all these things, but to, to, to micro break it down into all these different phases of the exact pre-rut even, you know, I mean, it just, uh, it, it, it blew me away, but that's what we have to do in fishing all the time too. And that's why the top pros are continually successful. You know, we just, we don't have many days we get skunked or we have, you know, many days we, I may miss it. And we get extreme weather changes and things like right now there's, I'm watching this, all this huge rain event go across the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. And so following these lake levels and looking at the water clarity, I mean, it can, it can change by the minute, uh, drastically out on the water. Uh, I think even more so than it, than it does in the woods. You know, I mean, the beauty of deer hunting for you guys is you can kind of pick your time. You know, mm -hmm. you can pick the day that, you know, obviously we, we all have families and things like that, but you, you can look at deer cast, you can watch the weather and you can kind of get, and they're pretty, you know, weather forecasters are much better today than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. So you get a window, but when the tournament days are, you know, 
Wednesday through Tuesday of, you know, this week in June or whatever it is, it is what it is. We're, we're locked in no matter how bad the weather is, if it snows, rains, storms, whatever, I have to perform. I have to catch them. I got to make it happen no matter what. And, and that's, uh, that's one of the real challenges with it. Cause as you know, mother nature's, she's tough. She's in control. <laughs> She always wins. Yeah. yeah. Before we get to our question of the day, we got uh, Nolan from Minnesota who's got a question for you, Kevin. I'm curious. I've always wondered on the tournament trail, <clears throat> I know the stakes are high, but you guys, so many of you know each other. I'm sure you got a lot of friends on the trail. Do you guys ever pull pranks on each other or is it just like, is everyone too focused to even consider that? No, it's, uh, it is a, uh, it is a brotherhood for sure. Um, you know, I, there's a, you know, 80 guys on the major league fish and bass pro tour. And, you know, I know all 80 of them, uh, but I know, you know, 40 of them really well. And I know 60 of them pretty well. And mm-hmm. I know 20 of them exceptionally well. And yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of us have a lot of history. We have a lot of fun together and yeah, we're super competitive during the competitions but these are some really good people, just like it, you know, the rest of the outdoors, how many people do you know that, um, you know, might be sponsored by the most competitive company. Maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, we're all mossy Oak guys. Maybe they're real tree people, yeah. but you're still friends with them, yeah. you know, and you still respect them. And if they're on the side of the road with a flat tire, you're going to stop and help them. And that's the way that really the vast, vast majority of the guys on tour are is, uh, they're just really, really good, solid you know, people. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about your beginnings and can you touch on Ray Scott a little bit and what he meant to the sport? And, you know, he's the the father of modern bass fishing. You, you know, he passed away recently. Can you just touch on maybe a, a favorite story or, or, or moment that you've had with him? Yeah, I've, I've had a lot. Um, you know, when I came up, um, in the early nineties, I started fishing actually in the late eighties, started fishing a few pro tournaments. Uh, obviously, I mean, he, he, there's nobody like him. I mean, he was a true showman. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's the, he's the ringmaster, you know, uh, the hat, his attitude, uh, just, you know, larger in life personality. Um, and so when I started fishing and started having success, I mean, it was like you say, mostly Southern dominated, uh, guys from Texas or, you know, Florida or our, you know, the definitely mid South area and a lot of older guys. So to have a young person come in from a different region, talks a little bit different, does things a little bit differently that and Ray was smart enough to know that, Hey, this is, this is good for for BASS, this is good for the sport. And, uh, you know, we became friends pretty early on. You know, one of the first things that I did in the early nineties is Ray asked me to, he was, he did a charity event um, for his church in Pentlala, Alabama, which is nowheresville, just south of Montgomery, where uh, President George W. Bush was a friend, became a friend of his, was an outdoorsman. And he put this special tournament on to raise money to help uh, to build a new church down there. So he invited me, he called it the Eagles of Angling, some of the top anglers out there, got a lot of the industry uh, together. So uh, I actually got drawn to fish with with George W. there. Um, I met both Bushes, you know, through Ray. Uh, You know, I've seen him, I've seen him do a lot of crazy things. 
you know, I got to fish his, stayed at his house. I've fished his, his private lake multiple times. Um, I seen him ride into the Bassmaster Classic on an elephant. Uh, you know, he just would do whatever it takes. And he just really worked hard in that era uh, to put the anglers, you know, out there in the best place. He would do whatever it could to, to get media there to draw attention to it. So the sport really grew and changed, but he was a huge part of it to, to have the forethought to, uh, to know that man conservation is, is key and that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be killing these fish. So early on, they did, they put them all on the stringer, uh, you know, to implement catch and release, um, to really do the research on, you know, weigh-ins and, you know, live well system and boats and that to, to really just say, Hey, look, this is something that we all love and enjoy. And, and legally I can go out there and catch and keep five bass a day in most States, you know, back then the limits were even higher. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to work with these state agencies and to have a conservation arm to have that, you know, I mean, he changed uh, fishing the way that it was. And, and again, over the years, different formats and tweaks in the rules and things like that, but had a lot of great, a uh, lot of great times with Ray. Uh, none of us, the whole bass fishing industry, the whole tournament organizations industry, none of it would have ever happen without, without his vision. So, uh, you know, his health hasn't been very good. And it really in the last year, especially I got to see him, uh, spend the last time I actually saw him, I went and took him to breakfast two years ago. Uh, you know, it's just, he's still the same, same guy telling stories and, <laughs> um, you know, just, just boisterous outgoing Ray. He's, uh, he's definitely one of a kind and we're, we all going to miss him for a long time. We, you know, owe everything to him yeah. for sure. You think of guys like him or Johnny Morris, they're, they're visionaries, yeah. you know, and, and it's not, um, it's not just the business side that they were visionaries on. Like you said, the conservation side, I mean, yeah. no, nobody does more, you know, John, Johnny, yeah. certainly and, and right. showman, you know, I think about Johnny and, you know, we just, we were with you there at, uh, in Springfield, Missouri, oh, a month or two back. And, and it was the, the 50th uh, anniversary and it was the world's fishing fair. I mean, it was just unbelievable what all they had there. And uh, guys like, like Ray and and Johnny are just few and far between. What's crazy to me is, is uh, for a long time, I mean, it was, when when did, when did Ray start uh, bass fishing? Was it the seventies? It was, it was actually in the late 60s so i was born in 1967 and that was the year they had their very first tournament beaver lake arkansas the first bass tournament ever and um so that it was actually him and bob cobb had this vision so bob (laughs) bob is still alive he was the original producer of bass masters tv i see him every year um at the bass fishing hall of fame which is in the wonders of wildlife museum down there in springfield missouri so if you ever get to springfield missouri you have to stop by uh the the bass pro store there and go through the wonders of wildlife museum it, uh it's just the my favorite part of it is obviously the white-tailed deer uh, <laughs> display there in the room it's he's got the uh, johnny has the greatest collection of uh all the different trophy white-tailed deer from all over the, the, the country and Canada and that there, but uh, that whole museum, the aquarium, and then obviously the international uh, IGFA hall of fame, the, the mm-hmm. professional bass fishing hall of fame, all that's housed right there. It's, it's pretty dang special. You say, uh, you know, visionary and Johnny, I've got, I've known him a long time and he's an amazing individual. 
but what a difference between him and Ray Scott. You know, Ray is outgoing, promoter, boisterous. Johnny is is quiet, reserved, doesn't, you know, he's not out there tooting his own horn and, and trying to uh, say, hey, look at me. But what he's done for conservation, uh, I mean, and obviously everybody calls him the modern day Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and there's no question about that. But mm-hmm. I've lived it. You know, I've seen some so much of the things that he's done. And to have that vision for the outdoors to give back the way he does to get kids involved in it for the future, to invest in He's, he's one of the very few people, most, most of our industry companies and people, they're focused on building their business and, and really not worried. They're not investing in the future or thinking about, Hey, you know, they're not building more lakes or what is the, you know, hunting. It's getting to be where, boy, if you don't have a, your own property, how are you going to have a chance to do it? So protecting a lot of these public places, um, you know, investing, you know, working with uh, legislators and that to, you know, from the Everglades to out West, uh, he's just Mm -hmm. does, I mean, he's in every aspect of it, you know, from small to large habitat improvement projects, you know, and lakes to everything. Johnny is, uh, he's definitely a visionary and, and done some incredibly groundbreaking work and, uh, and he's just such a special guy. He, I, I'm so honored just to get to have known him for so long. And, mm-hmm. he, and he has that effect on anybody when you first meet him. Yeah, It's almost like you're in the presence of, of royalty, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, our celebrity status, not by his doing or by, by what he wants. But when you're around him, you're just like, Holy cow, this, I, they do. I mean, we've told the story before I ran into him <laughs> down in Branson a couple of years ago. It was the, the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic. And my wife and, and I took the kids down to big Cedar and uh, we were going into the, you know, the, the main restaurant there, big Cedar lodge. And, or we were walking out, we had had dinner and the kids were crazy. And, you know, it was a very exhausting dinner and, uh, we're walking out and at the door, here's Johnny Morris and he opens the door for us and he was coming in with his wife and I just froze. It was the first time I'd ever met him in person. I was like, uh, and I stuck my hand out. Of course, everybody's wearing masks and it was, it was May two months you know, after. <laughs> and he's just like, Ugh. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I think you know my dad, yeah. sir. Yeah. It was embarrassing, but I was just shocked to see him in person. It would be. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Holy cow. Track. Here he is. That's he made all this. Yeah. So yeah, he funny. doesn't, um, he doesn't, I've, I've been, I've got, I've had the pleasure of knowing him for 35 years, I'd say now, 35, maybe, maybe even longer. And he just doesn't think like normal people. He doesn't do normal things. He looks at things differently. Absolute true genius. He is, he is a, he is the definition of a genius. Just, uh, and it shows in everything that he puts his uh, hand on and, and he leaves his mark on. And humble as it gets. <laughs> the Love most that. humble person you'll ever meet. Yeah. You'd never know that he's done all the things and he's created all that he has and that he's given back uh, the way that he has if you just met him. And like you say, he's just, he'll hold the door for you at his own you know restaurant. Just You see him there all the time. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's jump into this question of the day real quick. Yeah. We, so we got something a little special here. We got a question of the day. We've got a real wild clip and we've got a photo that we'd oh. like to show yeah. Kevin also. But we'll show the photo after the real wild clip because right. it's kind of related. All right, we'll jump right into it here. Question of the day is probably brought to you by HHA Sports, the leader in single pin sites. Hey, Matt, Tim, Kevin. Um, 
I'm my name is Nolan from Minnesota, and uh, my question for Kevin would be, what is your favorite thing um, about competitive fishing? I don't think Nolan is from Minnesota. He didn't say Minnesota. Uh, he was close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I heard a little bit of it in there. Uh, I heard it. <laughs> um, what I love about competitive fishing is that aspect. It's it's the competition. It's going out there on any given day and trying to uh, pit yourself against the best guys on the planet at at figuring out, you know, what this little green fish is doing at any given moment and to do it better and faster than everybody else. Um, that's what I've always loved about the tournaments. It's, it's not the trophies or the prize money or accolades or any, anything at all. I just love figuring out what it takes. I mean, my favorite part of bass fishing is figuring out what it takes to trick them on any given day hmm. and actually catching them is not as, uh, it's not as exciting as to me as figuring out the puzzle is, is putting it together and to being able to do it, you know, like you say, at a more rapid pace so that when you are in one of those competitions where you can light the score tracker up and just, uh, you know, put a whooping on the field. And, and I've been on, I've been on both sides many a times uh, in our sport in competitive bass fishing, you're going to lose a lot more than you're ever going to win. But, um, and I've, you know, Shoot, I've fished, I don't remember how many, 28 Bassmasters Classics, and I've only won four. So four for 28 is mm -hmm. not pretty good. <laughs> but in that world, you know, it's it's as good as it's ever been done. So it just goes to show you how competitive it is, mm -hmm. how tough it is to compete uh, on that level. And that's the thrill that I get out of it. it it's uh, Angling like hunting is one of those pastimes where it probably makes sense to not trash talk because – <laughs> just the, the next day you're, you need to be humble yeah very exactly it's gonna bite you uh-huh yeah well nolan thank you for the question nolan will get a deer cast hat i got a follow-up question here oh, so boy. aaron bennett he's a longtime dirty outdoors team member he's uh he's a good friend of mine he i mean this guy doesn't get starstruck he's he, you know he, he's every time we i put a picture of you and the crew that we had dinner with uh in springfield you know back when we were together in march and he was like is that kevin van dan you know he's like just obsessed he's he you know he, he fishes like fish those arcs all the time and does tournaments and stuff and he said uh he texted me he goes you gotta have van dam on i said yeah we're getting ready to film it tomorrow he goes you gotta ask him if he ever has to relieve himself while he's on the water and now he handles it with people watching him fish cameras etc and i just kind of gave him the face plant emoji and he goes he goes this is a serious question you should definitely ask him that i'm freaking serious dude i've wondered that for a long time <laughs> he types like he uh like he talks yeah 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 so <laughs> so hey this is what the people want to know apparently <laughs> it is it's tricky um especially when you got a big entourage you know i mean some of the tournaments if you're the leader on the last day you may have i mean i've had 100 boats following me before, and Pressure. so the <laughs> What I do is I I tell my camera guy and everything like that. I'm like, listen, guys, we're gonna we're gonna um, kind of surprise these people, not let them know that we're gonna make a move, and I'm gonna you know have everything. I'll just get everything ready to go. My rod strapped down and everything other than the one I'm fishing with, and be ready. And I said, get your life jacket on, get back there, get you know get ready to go. We won't give them any inclination that we're gonna leave, and just out of the blue when I finally set to go uh, 
I mean, I just jerk the trolling motor up, throw the rod down, jump in the seat, haul to the next spot <laughs> as fast as you can and, you know, do your business. And then, you know, at, when you're finishing, they're just, uh, they're just starting to pull up, you know, Jeez. you, you kind of catch them off guard. No so pressure. We just pumped the village y'all and you guys are just pulling up. <laughs> Yeah, we yeah. don't have a porta potty on the boat. <laughs> oh, that's tough. Well, there you go, Bennett. <laughs> Your questions yeah, have been sponsored answered. by Aaron Bennett. Okay, uh, so we're gonna hop into the real wild clip of the week, Kevin. We know you spend a lot of time on the water, so um, so it'll be interesting to to see you respond to this here. All right, so on the real wild clip, it's it's this one's actually uh, you have it here for us, big dog. Okay, so this is we have a buck swimming across the Mississippi River here. And this is kind of like a little channel there in the Mississippi. It was on a piece of property that uh, Terry and I had owned. And uh, one morning, uh, Scott, uh, my camera guy, was out there hunting. And he hears something jump into the water. And he looks over, and here comes this buck swimming across across the Mississippi it's River. It's a nice little buck, too. Yeah. And yeah. He's, like, he's kind of angling downstream, so he's not fighting the current. Smart. Yeah. And he just he, – he's – powering away there so, so kevin have what's the wildest thing that you've seen you know w- wildlife wise when you're out here on the tournament trail oh man I, i've seen lots of deer swimming uh on the water i've seen lots of them around the bank um seen a lot of animals coyotes and foxes and that and i can i've called a lot of them right to the water you know i've got i can kind of mouth call a little bit um that's something we love to do too is coyote hunt or predator hunt up here in michigan so um, I've seen all of that. Probably the craziest thing I've seen, though, animal-wise in the water, because I've seen squirrels and all that, is I was at Bull Shoals fishing a tournament in the spring and turkey season a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was April, and uh, I was fishing this couple big pockets in pretty high mountains around there, and there there was a turkey goblin on this one ridge there. And I, I ran back all the way into the back of this creek, and I was on my way out and I saw something swimming across in the water and I, I went by and I'm like, what in the heck was that? So I turned around and looked. It was a coyote swimming <laughs> across the dang lake, headed towards where that tur- right towards where that turkey was was wow. gobbling at. So I circled around and saw and I, you coyotes can swim <laughs> and pretty dang fast. It was uh, but I've never seen you know, any, anything like that before. And, and I'm sure, cause I mean, I knew I marked that Ridge exactly. He was headed right towards mm-hmm. that. Uh, and, and it is, you know, to, for him to do it by land, he would have had to go five miles, you know? Sure. So he just swam the, was probably 400 yards across Jeez. there. <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, it's not like it's a little ways. It was, it was 400 yards across there. He was hungry. Um, well, it was turkey season. Yeah, too, I'd so. say so. But you know how they are. I mean, I oh yeah, I'm amazed at how they home in on uh, turkeys. I, I know a lot of people say that turkeys don't gobble anymore because of the coyote numbers in their area. But thankfully, they still we got a lot of coyotes. We work on them pretty heavy during the winter, but uh, our turkeys still gobble pretty good here in Michigan. Good. Yeah, you guys had a hell of a week last week with with uh, Paradise and and Fred. Yeah, it's. Uh, we, we definitely, you know, that's been one of the benefits to our, you know, what we do is and our land management is it's really been helpful for turkeys. And it's something that we think about in our, in our food plotting a little bit and, and also uh, provide them good nesting cover. And I also, we do a lot of predator control, a lot of nest predator, you know, mm-hmm. raccoons, possums and skunks. And it, it's 
we've just started really doing that part of it in the last four or five years and it's just paid off and those guys were they're blown away by the number of birds that we have and then also man the crop of jakes we have so next year looks really good too awesome sweet well we got one more one more thing to show you here it's weird so so on that same river property that we have we don't have it anymore but on that same river property the first couple years we owned it it flooded we'd plant the food plots in the summer and it would flood every right after i planted and uh so i had this food plot carved out and uh it flooded but i it flooded so quickly that i couldn't get in there to get my trail camera out my reconics camera so we captured you know once the water finally went down i went in and looked at the the camera and what all i captured on it and i had you know ducks going by and i had you know everything you can imagine on my food plot except for deer actually i had deer even wading through the water but the best picture i i caught was this this one we're about to show you here (laughs) <laughs> that's can you see that kevin uh, it, it's, it's a fish jumping out of the water right next oh, to my tree koi <laughs> that's a asian isn't that it asian looks like car? a silver yeah 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 he uh it jumped jumped out right where my food plot is i mean he's right in the middle of it he's within bow range <laughs> because that's those, my tree koi how about those trigger speeds on those reconnaissance yeah the trigger, and I, this this is a series of like three pictures i mean we just picked the best one here but it's probably the craziest picture i've, I've ever that's, seen you know just crazy yeah i've got some cool pictures this turkey season on, on some of my cameras of you know what turkeys are doing and then what i love is the videos you know you get this so you can really kind of see what they're what they're doing there on it. But yeah, catching a crow in midair or an owl in oh, midair, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, the technology and trail cameras cameras these days for sure. So, yeah, no doubt. But yeah, that's uh, what you need is about a thousand of those Asian carp yeah. in your food plot after it goes back down just for fertilizer. Yeah. You know what the price of fertilizer is these days. Yeah, no kidding. Unreal. <laughs> Make well, the food plots grow. Well, we have a few just odds and ends thing we're, we're going to be doing here. You, you, I'm sure you're a busy guy, so if you need to jump off, feel free. If, if not, we're, we're probably going to another 10, 10 minutes or so that we got here on the show. So uh, here's your chance now to get out. and We won't <laughs> hold it against you. Yeah, I'm gonna. I've got a uh, meeting. I've got to catch up with a guy working on some electronic stuff to get ready for this next event. So I'm probably gonna have to bump out. So yeah, yeah, no just problem. Meet, be able to meet him on time. But sure. man, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. I'd like to I'd like to do it again a little later in the year. Maybe you know towards deer season a little bit. You, you don't have to tell yeah. us twice. <laughs> <laughs> invited, officially invited. Well, it's it's an honor to be on the on the uh, podcast with you guys. I, I love what you do. Follow it closely and i'm super excited to hear these uh new features new insider deals for deercast so you gotta have to you definitely have to keep me oh, in the loop on we on will coming. we'll probably get you in on on the beta here because we still got probably a good month month or so of the beta testing and it's and it's in you know final tweak stage so uh we'll get you we'll get you uh pulled into that so it's uh we really appreciate you coming on, spend the time with us. It's been a pleasure and uh, just look forward to seeing what you do the rest of the, the, the season here. You bet, man. Appreciate it guys. All right. All thanks right. Kevin. Have a good one, Kevin. You bet. It's cool. It's trying my hardest not to fangirl. That is hard. Yeah. I, I was such a hardcore 
Bassmaster's follower when I was a kid. In fact, I wanted to be a professional angler when I was a kid. My my kindergarten teacher at the last day of school told my dad, she's like, Tim's a great kid in class and everything, but all he ever talks about is fishing. You might want to get him interested in baseball or something. You else. shut your mouth. <laughs> he was like, well, he also likes hunting. So, and she didn't think that was very funny. Come on, lady. But yeah, it's just so cool to, to talk, to see. Did you to, ever go back and stick your finger in her chest and say, look at me now? I shoved her. <laughs> I came, I started a grocery store and I just shoved her and I walked away. She was 90. She was really old and Broke brittle. A hip. She could, it's possible. Tim, I don't you're know. You're just a jerk. <laughs> Mrs. Coffin was a sweet lady, but she did not understand me. Well, not many do. (laughs) Speaking of being misunderstood, it's time for that wildlife word. All righty. Brought to you by Cold Steel, professional blades for real hunters and us. It's a good thing Kevin hopped off because it leaves you no one to defer to on this question. (laughs) In largemouth bass, the olfactory rosette allows them to A, detect UV light, B, express remorse, which is an important trait to have, C, dream, or D, smell. Uh, Hmm. Okay, so... You going to text Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) Hypothetically... All right. What I would say is olfactory makes me think of senses, sense of smell, honestly. I appreciate your honesty. But I don't know if a fish can smell. (laughs) I have no idea. I know they do smell. (laughs) They have an odor to them. Correct, sir. (laughs) This is is how I test. (laughs) You're You're showing your work. That's what you're doing. (laughs) You should watch me do math. (laughs) (laughs) Carry the two and get a remainder of one. Uh, You know, the detect UV light sounds fancier. Uh Uh-huh. And it is. (sighs) I'm going to go with. A, detect UV light. Okay. Your original instinct was correct. Dang it. D, smell. I knew it. Fish do smell. Their smellers are different, though, because they're, it's not attached to their throat. So their, te- their, their sense of taste and smell are not connected. I should have went with my gut. Dad always says, go with your gut instinct. Go with your gut. Think long, yep. think wrong. Oh. Wow. Did you make that up or no? He did. I don't. He didn't make it. Somebody huh. made it up. Working he hard or hardly working. Yeah. Hey, two hundred dollars is two hundred dollars. There's all <laughs> kinds of them. <laughs> so many truisms on this show. That's right. <laughs> okay, and we got some shout outs. Our buddy Mike. If this is Mike's actual last name, I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. Mike Huntstings. <laughs> Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, which we love. Hell yeah. Um, so he says, great podcast. Just started listening to the podcast this year, and these guys really got me hooked. Deer hunting is my passion, and these guys get on topic, and they stick to the topic well, as some other podcasts can really get off topic. They are knowledgeable and are funny at the same time. Hey, thanks, Mike. I, we that. may have jumped around a little bit today, <laughs> so I apologize ahead of time. Yeah, um, we, we had multiple topics to yeah. cover. Well, you got a guy like him. I mean, he kept bringing it back to the to deer cast in the hunting side. I mean, this this guy is ate up with hunting. It's obvious. It, well, and, and, and you think someone that does that for their living, it's probably refreshing to talk about yeah. something other than angling. Well, all if the time. he's spending 250 days oh, on the tournament trail, brutal. can you imagine? I'd be divorced, first of all. Like, I don't know. His wife must be a saint. I'd be divorced and 500 pounds. True. Yeah. All the time on the road and yeah. time in the boat and snacks. and He's a skinny feller. I don't know how he does it. 
But it was a, Aaron's question was really good about how do you use it when you're followed by so many spectators? He used other words to describe really? what he wanted me to ask. Surprising. I tried to PG it up a little bit. Nice job. But he just kept saying, I'm serious. I'm serious. Ask him how he poops. I want to know. <laughs> Aaron, what's the deal here? Jeez, Aaron. It may be, maybe a, we have little intrusive. some real problems for Aaron. I hope Kevin doesn't re-listen to this or watch it back. Uh, I, I, why do I always got to say this about our guests who jump off? I'm like, boy, I hope they don't watch the last 10 minutes. To asterisk everything. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing we switched the format around so that all this stuff happens at the end. We can debrief a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it this way. I like the new format. Mm-hmm. 100%. Wild. We should. We should use that for a name for our show. Mm. I, do, I do sometimes wonder about the name of our show. Why? We're wild it, and crazy guys. Well, it's true. <laughs> Each of us 50%. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, it, it's hard to know that it's a hunting show when people see it. Uh, well, you know what? It's it, it's a hunting show, but it is more than that. I mean, I, I mean, realistically, we're shooting the breeze as much as we're talking about hunting. Where the soundboard has become its own character. It's a, it's a co-host. It's in a of co-host. Itself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Unpaid. Yeah. Well, join the club. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Nobody getting paid on this podcast. We get paid in notoriety. Yeah, a little, very little. Right. <laughs> Again, nobody's getting paid. Uh, well, let's uh, let's make some of our new Rack Pack members famous. All right. If you don't know what the Rack Pack is, if you're living under a rock or if you're still listening for some odd reason, go over to the face, Facebook and type into the search bar, 100% Wild Rack Pack, and this will pop up. It's a private Facebook group that we have for our fellow listeners of this here show answer the membership questions yeah tim put some crazy membership questions out there to see if you're really a listener or if you're a bot we got some like in wambe tumba from the ivory coast trying to join in and they don't answer any of the hope you're not insulting a major fan here the questions was what's your favorite part about the podcast and they said yes <laughs> That's like how I They're answer these in. wildlife words. Uh, e? I'm going to float around this. All right. So every week, uh, Tim picks out some names and I read them out. And every week, he throws in a fake name. So we have Justin Steins, Moose West. And then I look at Tim if I think it's fake and I look at him smirk and I wonder. I mean, Moose West is a really cool name. He's a cool guy. Moose West. Then I got to read it a couple different times to see if I'm just... <laughs> Change the, the emphasis. Quandale Dingle. <laughs> so you threw me off the trail. Are there two fake names or Moose West is real? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share I'll share once we hit the end of this Okay. Quandale Dingle, Chris Vogler, Joe Orff, Robbie... Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Robbie. Fult, fult me Weiss. <laughs> You say his name. Fulton Awitz. Ah, dang it. It's like reading Chelswick. Denny Gurink, Ryan Chelswick. Oh, there is a Chelswick. Yeah. Who the hell? I'm. Is that your brother? No. No. That's my cousin. Oh, it's your cousin. It's my little big cousin from uh, from Morris, Illinois. In fact, so I went through and I took my own advice because I always say like, hey, you invited your own friends. And so I invited my friends and family. So we had an influx of of uh, friends. So Moose is a cousin of of mine. Moose. F O T. 
<laughs> That's right. It's, it's a small, it's a small but proud group. This is all of them. <laughs> Moose West was growing up. He he was a a bow, a bow hunter for years, and he was a guy, beast of a man. He is, and this guy has killed so many. He's one of those guys that kind of flies below the radar. Like not very not very many people know how many big deer this guy's killed because he never he just didn't brag about it. He just went out. We should have him he, on the podcast. Let everybody know about it. <laughs> We're gonna ruin your blow. The lid off this thing, <laughs> this secret. <laughs> and then uh, Robbie Fultonewitz, my uncle. Denny Garink uh, is uh, is an outdoor uh, writer. He wrote a book called, uh, gosh, I read it. It was like Hunting Bear <laughs> in a Book. I read a book. He wrote it. I read it. He was the author, I believe. <laughs> he uh, made a living guiding bear uh bear hunts over in, in It'd be siberia awesome if he made a living guiding bear <laughs> right this come way on, sir. the salmon are over here they happen to be running today come on boys <laughs> he was mauled 13 times the bear did not got no appreciate arms it. or legs <laughs> <laughs> lieutenant dan got new legs <laughs> legs uh yeah so so he's uh i think it was like in the land of the bear was the name of the book nice Some crazy stories about guy, just just going over to russia back then it was a soviet union yeah he was getting during the soviet union it was during glasnost and they're trying to bring in americans to show like hey russians aren't bad and you know here's the soviet union and some crazy. Hey, so you stories. know this guy personally? I don't know him personally. I read oh. his book. He's friends with Ray I, so I know him through Ray. And, I see. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just like a, Tinder. <clears throat> well, <laughs> he's, did, he's not an FOT. <laughs> no, he's a, a he's just a AOT. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fake name Quandale. Not to be confused with AOC. Yeah, I don't know. That there's any crossover there. Okay, <clears throat> Quandale Dingle was our fake. Fake name this week. This was a good week of names, Tim. Yeah. Several yeah. I couldn't pronounce. Several <laughs> could be fake. It's great. Great. A lot of, a lot of options there. Right. We appreciate all of our Rack Packers. And uh, as, as a Rack Packer, you get access to insider information about the show. You get a chance to leave us questions, which we are in need of. So in the show notes for this show, click the link that says leave us a voicemail and ask us any question about hunting or Bass angling, food <laughs> advice, food and nutrition <laughs> help, style, fashion. There we go. Relationships. I can't gardening. give you great advice on any of those things. We'll give you advice. It will be good. Like the hunting advice. It's not <laughs> great, right. but we'll give it. Take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. There. So hey, we've run. Uh, man. Next show. We've run really long. <laughs> Former uh, Cardinals pitcher. Kyle McClellan. World Series champion. It's awesome. Kyle McClellan. I'm excited to talk to him. He's got a new podcast. A critical Mass team member. He's been on Critical Mass, cast member, I should say. Uh, Kyle's a good dude. He lives here close. He's He's got a new podcast called The Chatterbox. He's It's the official podcast for the Cardinals. So uh, he's going to run circles around us as far as hosting goes. I don't know about that. <clears throat> he called me for advice. Oh. He would never admit that. Well, maybe we'll have to ask him about that. Uh, no, camera. we don't have to ask. <laughs> all right. We appreciate everyone tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and, and all these episodes. Appreciate the feedback. And uh, until next time, peace out. The results are in. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get out of your game with DeerCast.